0: This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. FirstNet, built
1: with AT&T is the only nationwide wireless network built with and for emergency responders, including Arizona physicians, nurses, and other critical staff. FirstNet subscribers get a great mobile experience with added security and peace of mind. Visit firstnet.com to learn more.
2: I think it's important for patients to bring their prescription bottles if they're getting antihypertensive drug therapy to the office, and that should be the last filled bottle. Patients often bring lists, but unless we actually see the last filled bottle and it's of recent uh, date, we don't really know if the patient has actually gotten the medicine or at least filled the medicine, and that's at least a chance that they're taking the medicine because non-adherence to antihypertensive therapy affects 30 to 50% of our patients. So this is a huge obstacle.
1: Welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is Edward Araujo, host for today's episode. We will be discussing hypertension with today's guest, Jan Basil. Jan Basil, MD, is currently professor of medicine in the cardiology division at the Medical University of South Carolina. He earned his medical degree from the Medical College of Virginia in Richmond. He then completed his internship and residency at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, where he was also chief resident. Dr. Basil is also fellow of the American College of Physicians, the American Society of Hypertension, and the American Heart Association. Dr. Basil is board certified in internal medicine and has been designated as a specialist in clinical hypertension by the American Society of Hypertension. Dr. Basil, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Edward. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Dr. Basil, uh, you were recently invited to speak here in Arizona at the Flynn Foundation's uh, Buffmeyer Lectures about your findings on underserved populations that have higher incidence of prolonged hypertension and possible parallels between those populations you have studied and Arizonans here living in rural environments. Can you share your findings with us?
2: Sure, Edward, I'd be happy to. Um, We talked quite a bit about a systems approach to controlling blood pressure, Uh and it kind of starts off with how you uh, set up your office. And I think it's very important that patients get to their appointments many minutes before they're actually scheduled. We tell patients that They really should have no caffeine, should not have exercised, and have not smoked for at least 30 minutes before their blood pressure is taken in the office. Oh,
1: okay.
2: Yeah, and it's most important for patients to be seated in a chair with their feet on the floor, back supported, for at least five minutes before the first blood pressure is taken. In addition, we like patients to have emptied their bladder. This is extremely important if you're Mm -hmm. seeing patients in the hospital. Uh-huh. and there really should be no communication between the person taking the blood pressure and the patient. So you're not doing a pain score or a medication reconciliation, and the patient really is not engaged in any communication while the blood pressures are being taken. All clothing should be removed, the arm should be bare, and the um, cuffs should be placed on the arm mid-circumference, at about um, Mm mid-arm, and it should be at heart's level. If these things are done, we like to take two to three blood pressures separated by a minute apart. Some people average all three, others throw out the first one or the alert blood pressure, and then average the second and third. So it really starts with the blood pressure measurement. However. The way it's done has changed as well, at least in the adult, mm-hmm. we're actually now recommending an automated oscillometric device. So many offices are set up with a wall-mounted manometer and still use the stethoscope in the adult. This encourages patients to be up on a table with their feet dangling, and many things can elevate the blood pressure higher than it actually is, including that particular posture. So we like an automated oscillometric device that can be taken from room to room, it's on wheels, Mm -hmm. and it really takes away the um, examiner's hearing, their deflation rate, and many of the things that can have an effect on the blood pressure um, that doesn't allow it to be an accurate measurement. So this, these things might actually change the way an office is set up and the way some offices are currently taking blood pressure. Now, in children and adolescents, in pediatrics, they're still
1: using a stigma manometer and a stethoscope. I see. So that kind of leads to, you know, to this next question. The You know, we obviously, the study of hypertension has existed for a long time. Can you then share, you know, um, any new methods, you know, that you're using to, you know, help address these long-term health consequences of hypertension in these populations? Sure. One of the things that's new
2: but essential is that we really base what we do on mm-hmm. the home blood pressure, not so much the office blood pressure. And unless you have the patient engaged with you and taking their own home blood pressure, which they need to be taught how to properly do... Okay. Okay you're going to base what you do on the office blood pressure. And that doesn't correlate as well with cardiovascular disease and target organ disease as the home blood pressure. So CMS is now paying offices with a CPT code of 99473 to properly instruct patients on how to take their blood pressure at home. And although they don't pay for the blood pressure device, which is an issue, with many of our patients, at least at the VA here since 1992, all VAs across the country have been giving all their veterans home blood pressure devices through prosthetics, if they have an ICD um, diagnosis of hypertension. So this is an obstacle because it's essential that Mm -hmm. we base what we do more on home blood pressure than on office blood pressure. Without home blood pressure, you don't know if someone has white coat hypertension.
1: Right. Can can I can I ask how you yeah. came across home blood pressure testing as such a positive, or that it would bring you better results? That's true. In fact, home blood pressure
2: decreases the cost. If you if you have patients engaged mm-hmm. with their own measurement of blood pressure at home, they're more likely to take their medicine, have their blood pressure controlled. And the overall cost of their care is actually
1: lessened. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Um, You know, after the break, we'll continue our discussion on hypertension with uh, Dr. Basil. Thank you for listening to this uh, episode of the Arizona Physician Podcast.
3: in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and Podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation, at MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015
1: Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Arizona Physician Podcast. Today, we are joined by clinical hypertension specialist, Dr. Jan Basel. Let's continue. Now, systemically, what do you believe needs to be done here in Arizona to address hypertension in our underserved uh, populations?
2: Well, as I said earlier, I think the most important thing is to get patients engaged in their own disease process, Um, I think it's important for patients to bring their prescription bottles if they're getting antihypertensive drug therapy to the office, and that should be the last filled bottle. Patients often bring lists, but unless we actually see the last filled bottle and it's of recent uh, date, we don't really know if the patient has actually gotten the medicine or at least filled the medicine. And that's at least a chance that they're taking the medicine because a non-adherence to antihypertensive therapy affects 30 to 50% of our patients. So this is a huge obstacle. Wow. Fortunately, fortunately, we have generic medications that are not very expensive. And the first three classes of antihypertensive that we recommend in no particular order is a thiazide, thiazide-like diuretic, a calcium channel blocker, dihydropyridine preferred, like amlodipine or nifedipine, long acting, or an ACE or an ARB, but not both. So those three classes of drugs Mm -hmm. have been shown to reduce vascular events and death, um, including stroke, heart failure, kidney disease, and they work very well together. So those are the first three classes that we'd like to see patients on, unless there's a compelling reason to use another a particular drug. And the other new thing is that we no longer are focused as much on less than 140 over 90 as we are on less than 130 over 80. So we'd like to see the adult blood pressure closer to 130 and closer to 80 than 140 over 90. Actually, over the last three years, we've oh. seen a diminution in blood pressure control. We're not controlling blood pressure as well as we have prior to 2017. And we don't believe this is from the COVID pandemic. Are there reasons for that, sir, why, uh, yeah. why, why, you, why you're uh, going in that direction? Well, one of the things we think is that many patients do not have a particular place of care Hmm. And We know that those that have a, a place of care are more likely to be controlled. In addition, those that are seen at least in the last year are more likely to be controlled. And those that are engaged
1: in their care are more likely to be controlled. Is there anything else that you'd like to share from the, your findings or the, the lecture series?
2: Well, I think it's important to realize that um, we're not as likely to start antihypertensive drug therapy in people with blood pressures of 130 to 139 over 80 to 89, unless they have diabetes, unless they have chronic kidney disease, or their risk for ASCVD is 10% or greater. Otherwise, we begin with lifestyle modification. Uh-huh. And I'd like to just embellish the most important lifestyle modifications, which have a class a level of evidence recommendation, 1A level of evidence, the highest class and level of evidence that we have. And they include any form of weight loss,
1: uh-huh.
2: a heart healthy diet, which is high in fruits and vegetables and low in saturated fats and sodium, so-called DASH diet, dietary approach uh-huh. to stop hypertension. We are very interested in reducing sodium content, which in our populations is mostly from canned and frozen foods and processed foods. Mm -hmm. And we're interested in fruit and in um, foods that are rich in potassium. So we want to reduce the sodium in our diet and increase the potassium in our diet. And to do that, you can use fruits and vegetables, certain fish like salmon, cod, and uh, both turkey and veggie burgers, which are high in potassium as well. So that's a new recommendation, the potassium supplementation. The other thing is any form of physical activity, Mm -hmm. independent of weight loss, and a reduction in alcohol. I see. And in general, we, we, we like to have no more than two drinks in a man, one drink in a woman. And a drink is considered five ounces of wine, 12 ounces of beer, or one ounce of 70 proof liquor, or uh, 1.5 ounce of 70 proof liquor, or one ounce of 100 proof liquor. So in general, um, reduce the alcohol, get mm-hmm. some exercise, watch your weight, eat a healthy diet reduce your sodium, look at the labels, and increase your potassium in the diet. Wow,
1: that's a great insight. Yeah.
2: Easier said than done, but very, very important. And then just let me embellish, when you mm-hmm. think drug therapy is necessary,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we, we like thiazide, thiazide-type diuretics. Often clinicians in our country use HCTZ, but chlorothalidone is a more potent, longer-lasting thiazide type diuretic at about twice the potency than HCTZ and calcium channel blockers like amlodipine at 2.55 or 10 milligrams maximum are very effective for reducing blood pressure and reducing stroke and target organ disease. And then of course, the RAS blocker with an ACE inhibitor or an Mm -hmm. ARB, but
1: not both. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, You've uh, dedicated most of your career to serving patients at uh, VA hospitals. Can you share with us why that's been a passion of yours? Oh, sure. I, I, I've
2: been blessed to be able to work. Uh, this is my 44th year, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and 12 of them are actually as a volunteer, although I'm on the faculty of the medical school right next to the VA, I uh-huh. still am talking to you from the VA, And I have been blessed to be able to work at the VA. I I found the veteran population extremely interested in improving their own health care. I'm very, very vigilant about asking patients to bring their last filled bottles of all things they're taking as medicines over the counter, alternative medicines, as well as their filled prescriptions, um, I I know they can bring lists, but I really want to make sure they're filling the medication. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and and I've had tremendous success um, in treating veterans. And um, I've always been able to get medications that they require, as long as I've had an evidence base, or have been able to show the reason why that particular uh, written prescription would be in their best interest. So it's really been a win-win for me. Uh, serving the the veteran population. It's not easy taking care of our patients with hypertension, but at the very least, I think patients need to see that we're concerned, we're interested. When they're not controlled, we need to often get family members involved uh, to make sure they can afford their medicine, perhaps a social worker, or to really understand what's going on outside of the office. We talk about social determinants of health, and I just can't emphasize food poverty, housing insecurity. How can a patient's blood pressure be controlled if they don't have a roof over their head or they can't get a diet that's in right. their favorable? So there are many issues that go along with effective blood pressure control other than, you know, drug therapy. And um, these are some of the things
1: I'm really passionate about. Dr. Basil, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us. You know, physicians, if you're interested in learning more about Dr. Basil in regards to hypertension, please contact him at B-A-S-I-L-E-J-N at M-U-S-C E-D-U, or you can call 843-792-1952. We also like, uh, would like to thank this episode's sponsors, Boba Soker's Wealth Management and AT&T FirstNet. And finally, thank you, uh, listeners, for joining us today. Please don't forget to catch this and every episode on your favorite platform.
3: This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the Valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015. Helping physicians be the best they can be.
0: Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At BABA Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework designed to give you the confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.